Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined, as always, by Kevin. No thanks to Candy Corn, Hume. Happy Halloween, Kevin. Happy Halloween, man. I don't like Candy Corn. I think you don't eat it, right? No. Uh, it's, it's, it's gross. There's a really great uh, Louis Black bit about Candy Corn. Yeah? Yeah, where he talks about... Uh, you know, he says it's like corn that tastes like candy. <laughs> I can picture it. Corn's sweet enough. Yeah, like sweet corn is delicious. Yeah. I don't equate the two. What about what about now? Do you have a favorite candy now? Oh yeah, man. Like uh we bought some like Snickers and Twix and stuff, and those went way too quick. Like those aren't for the kids. Like those are <laughs> that's, gone. That's man. the head stash, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's all gone. Um that's always been some of my favorites right there. What about you? So sour, sour candy has oh, yeah. always been a big thing for me. Um, and um, one second, there's something going on here. Hold on. Yeah, I can hear it. Man, cat, what is this? This is a, this is like the thing that you put in the sink. <laughs> that what? Keeps you like the thing you put in the sink, the the drain that keeps you the rings and and stuff from falling down. Uh. <laughs> she got one of these and she was batting it around. So it's our twenty first uh, episode, and nice. our a podcast is old enough to drink, there and it's probably disappointed that you know, all the bars are closed. <laughs> I mean, you can get to go drinks. That's kind you of can. Cool. Um, so, uh, for all of you out there in earbud land, thanks for listening. Um, and if you, uh, well, first, if you have been listening, oh my God, thank you so much. How do you even put up with us? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but second, um, you, if you, you've had to hear um, all of these episodes, except for the very first one, I guess, Kevin and I grapple with what it means to be alive and sentient in 2020 Yeah. for the, for the past four and a half months. Um, we we've we've wrung our hands uh, before we even let you listen to our far more insightful guests. So thanks. Um, yeah, thank recently, you. Recently, recently that hand ring has meant that we've been talking a lot about the election, uh, but we're not going to do that today. Um, we we've gotten to the point in the horror movie where we're upstairs. Why do we always go upstairs? And we're, <laughs> and we're in the small closet, clutching a kitchen knife, and just hoping that we have the nerve and the aim to stab that boogeyman. Before he gets us, um, do we have any listeners in Pennsylvania or Florida, by the way? Uh, I'm talking to you. Take a deep <laughs> breath. Focus. <laughs> fucking vote. Stab that Chad. Yeah, no, make sure there's no hanging chads. <laughs> uh, Those of us old enough to remember that debacle. Yeah. Well, speaking of being uh, old enough, um, I want to talk about Halloween and more specifically like the Uncle Rico that I am increasingly turning out to be. <laughs> how much you want to bet I can throw a football over those mountains? <laughs> I want to reminisce, Kevin. Oh, reminisce away. There was a time when I was motivated enough to dress up in detailed costumes and go out into the streets and to the bars and to drink with my friends uh, while wearing like ridiculous wigs and stuff stuck to my face uh this halloween i'll probably just dress up like george thorogood and a uh, 70 year old man and drink alone <laughs> and get destroyed um, yeah 
but before I was a crotchety old man who listened to Roadhouse Blues, unironically, um, <laughs> I just listened to ZZ Top the other day, record all the way through. Not not sure they're truly Roadhouse, but I mean, give me all your loving, dude. That's a great song. Um, <laughs> but but before I found myself in my current state, I used to go out and honestly, uh, and honestly, I think my most epic Halloween was when I dressed up like Ron Burgundy and went to Santa Barbara. I went to Isla Vista, like the basic <laughs> ass white boy that I am. Oh jeez! And I brought a bottle of scotch. It was Cuddy Sark. Oh man! To this day, I have trouble with scotch. I think it all has to do with that faithful night. But I had this like gr- yeah. this green three piece suit that I bought from a th- thrift store. I had a burly fake mustache, way burlier than I could have grown then, and maybe even now. And uh, this re- oh, I used that mustache to try to get into a bar one time. Oh my god! <laughs> anyway, uh, and then this ridiculous wig, and I just walked around shouting about Channel Four News, and you know, saying things like mm, "Scotchy, Scotch, Scotch." san diego <laughs> but you were in santa barbara yeah i know <laughs> didn't i immediately <laughs> regret this decision uh milk was a bad choice <laughs> i got interviewed by a local news station i never saw oh, that yeah. clip I, I was probably just you know i mean i know what i was i didn't have to see it i was, I was a glassy-eyed slurring mess of unearned <laughs> confidence <laughs> youth is wasted on the young um seriously man going out like i do miss going out costume or not like i miss the crowded bars and having those completely covid unfriendly conversations where you're just like two feet from somebody yelling over the jukebox about something like completely asinine yeah man Uh, and shows live shows music music uh yeah and of course um the movies Going to the movies, Halloween is a great time to go to the movies. Uh, and uh, I think you've told me that you're a fan of scary movies. Yes? Yeah, man. Um, definitely try to see some scary movies around this time whenever I can. What are some of your favorites? Well, let's, 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 I, I made a few categories here. I was going to go through like popular picks, critically acclaimed and moody, <laughs> cult hits, uh, and legit fucked me up <laughs> what's something that like legit fucked you up oh man um the hills have eyes the remake oh, i yeah. i think that fucked me up because it was just so horrible it was so violent <laughs> it was just like not nice it was not a did you see that one no no i haven't seen that one um but i know it's like supposed to be really really good killer mutants um just 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 who want to kill you that's all it is just want I, to kill you. I know it's a little cliche at this point but when it first came out uh paranormal activity that first paranormal activity definitely got under my skin a little bit um you know that one got me too that's yeah, on my dude. list i went with a bunch of uh co-workers uh at the time to see it and it was still like in that early phase where it was like you had to demand for it to come, you know, so it wasn't available everywhere. And, um, I think like, like maybe eight of us went and like at least five of us went home that night, including myself and had incredibly trouble sleeping or bad dreams because of noises in the night because of that movie. Yeah. You know, like I heard like the pipes in my, uh, bathroom, like, just 
making noise at night and it terrified me. <laughs> There's like virtually no sound design in that movie except for like, well, I guess like when shit starts hitting the fan, I'm sh- I'm sure some of that is sound effects, but there's like that like ambient like whoa, 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 like that, yeah, like, barely they, audible when shit's about to go down. Oh, gives me yeah. a crazy thing about it now. Just watching you know the sped up film with just the like the the fast motion of the just slight sways mm. that people do when they're just standing like that terrifies me still to this day. Like talking about it right now is a little bit under my skin. Yeah. Giving you the, um, the heebie-jeebies. I say, yeah, I would say that was very early in my I like uh, scary movies career. Um, it's not exactly what I would call like a scary movie. It's more of a disturbing one, but it follows. Is, Ooh, I didn't see that one. I've, I've wanted to see that one. Yeah, it's really disturbing. Um, I don't know if I want to give away too much, but it's basically, uh, you know, it's like a girl uh, sleeps with a guy and then this uh this thing it's it can manifest in different people uh follows you uh you know unless you pass it along by sleeping with somebody else i watched evil dead 2 first that was the first installment that i saw so like yeah. I, I i don't know how familiar you are with this but evil dead 2 i think and I may be completely wrong here, but I think the first one was made and it was so low budget and yeah. so campy. And I just saw that last Halloween and I realized why well, it was just like this terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, then they made Evil Dead 2 with a little with a little more budget and a little bit more of a refined script. Yeah, it's um, essentially it's like the same, the same thing happens, except there's fewer characters. And, exactly. It's essentially yeah. the same film, just better done. And it's so yeah. like it it's become an archetype, you know? You mentioned that it's an archetype, and that uh, makes me think of um, the clever, the kind of clever horror movie, uh, A Cabin in the Woods. Have you seen that yeah. one? Um, shoot, I always get that one confused with, uh, is that the one that Josh Sweden did? It's like um, there's this cabin in the woods uh, that uh, kills people, and um, basically, and there's like a big secret underneath the cabin. That's all I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the Joss Whedon one. Yeah, that's the one. I get that one confused with uh, another one that I'm not that I'm not going to name. But yeah, that's the one, and it's it's really really good. Totally. On my critically acclaimed and moody list, I have uh, both of these were by the same director: The Witch and The Lighthouse. I don't think I've seen that one. Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Oh, I wanted to see that. Yeah, I heard (laughs) that. I heard that it was supposed to be really good. The Witch was really like it's one of those slow builds but it's such a like the twist toward the end is so well done because it's not it's just again it's not a horror movie it's like Mm -hmm. a thriller that turns dark and it's more psychological than anything and it's just so so good it's well done. The, the script is really good. The language is like, you know, um, it's like 1600s uh, American pilgrims, uh, colonists, um, like Puritans. And they, they talk a very, it's a very interesting the way they talk. Okay. Well, uh, we could go on forever, but um, 
we should uh, get on to the rest of the podcast. Coming up, we have uh, two more spooky segments for you. First, we'll hear from SF Weekly staff writer Grace Lee, who interviewed Ying Lu, a local woman with a passion for the paranormal. The third season of her local ghost hunting show, The Haunted Bay, is available on Amazon Prime. Nice. And we'll hear a ghost story. Ooh. It's called The Witching Tree. Uh, it's a curious tale of the dendrophilia set in Sonoma County's Armstrong Woods. Ooh, is that fear of fear of trees, fear of the woods? Love of trees. Oh. Vocab word, baby. Nice. Stay tuned. My name is Grace, and I'm a staff writer for SF Weekly. I cover arts, culture, and food, and recently I've had the fortune of interviewing Ying Liu about her series, The Haunted Bay. Ying Liu is a local filmmaker who interviews psychics, tracks the history behind ghost stories, and explores the supernatural past of the Bay Area. She spotlighted quite a few locations in San Francisco in the first two seasons of The Haunted Bay already, like the Warfield Theater and the Condor Club. The third season is set to premiere the day before Halloween on AsianAmericanMovies.com and Amazon Prime. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Ying. Ying, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Um, we're super excited to have you on the show. Um, so why don't you tell me about how your interest in ghost stories first started? Well, I it really started because my mom was really into ghost stories. Um, we were very close. It was just me and her growing up. And so you, she used to tell me a lot of family ghost stories. Um, her family is, they're Chinese from Malaysia and they were really into ghosts. So um, she told me some supposedly true stories and also some kind of like classic Chinese ghost stories. And we used to watch a lot of horror movies together. Um, so I, I like to say she was kind of like a goth before there gods were a big thing (laughs) like she wore all black and she hung out in in cemeteries on stormy nights when she was young and yeah that was that was her so that's how my interest started and that was kind of more like on a fun level um you know the spooky stuff but then she passed away unexpectedly and that was a huge shock for me. And I had a really hard time accepting that she was just gone. So I really kind of needed to know if there was an afterlife. And so I started to get kind of a deeper interest. I, I remember days after she passed away, I, I just went, just spent all my time in libraries and bookstores, looking at books, um, trying to see if there's any evidence of the afterlife. I didn't think right after my mom's death that, oh, I'm going to make documentaries about ghosts. Um, I started to take a class years after my mom passed away at Laney College for video production. And I had actually originally planned to just film events around the Bay Area, but it was around October and the teacher wanted us to come up with a class project. And I thought, hmm, you know, since it's Halloween, let's do a project on ghosts. And this was October and several months prior on July the 4th, I was actually in the July the 4th parade in Alameda, California, 
And while I was in the parade, I saw the Alameda Paranormal Researchers drive in the parade. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. They're actually real local paranormal investigators. And so fast forward, and this is October um, 2012. And I thought, hey, let's make a project about ghosts since it's Halloween time. And so I thought I'd contact the Alameda Paranormal Researchers and I contacted them and we totally lucked out. First of all, they're really, really nice. And they said, sure, you could follow us. And second of all, they just happened to have planned a, an investigation on the USS Hornet in Alameda. And so that was our first filming opportunity was on the USS Hornet. And that's pretty amazing because that place is supposed to be like the most haunted ship or one of the most haunted ships in America. Yeah. Is there, are you ever scared while filming for the show when you're going to all of these, you know, allegedly haunted places? Yes, I've had a few, uh, not most of the time, to be honest, but a couple of times I've definitely gotten scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the first time I got scared was um, at Preston Castle. In fact, that was my second time, actually, no, my third time going to film the Alameda Paranormal Researchers. And I had to go alone. My team couldn't come with me because they charge $100 per person. And so... I'm totally, you know, still, you know, learning about this. I go by myself. I'm not usually the camera guy, so so I'm still learning how to use the camera even. I get there and it is already like Preston Castle looks like something straight out of a horror movie already. It looks like a big castle. It used to be a reform school for boys. And the inside is was dilapidated. I don't know if they fixed it up since then. But the inside of Preston Castle was falling apart, dilapidated, dark, creepy. There were even bats inside. Um, And we went to one floor and there was this long hallway. And I happened to be in front. And everybody, all the investigators were behind me. And while I'm standing in front, I'm looking down the hall. And I just get this feeling that if I stay here, something's going to jump at me or attack me. And I didn't show any fear. I didn't say anything. And I see myself on film because um, Alameda Paranormal Researchers were filming me. I just quietly walked behind everybody to hide because I thought I don't feel safe out in front. And as soon as I went behind everyone, the psychic in their group, her name was her name is Steph. The psychic in the group, Steph, steps forward and she says, oh, my God. Please tell me you guys can see this. There's there's a shadow figure. There's like a man in the hallway and she starts stepping forward and she talks to it and she says, do you want to say something? And then suddenly she jumps backwards and all of us just kind of, you know, rush backwards because something seemed to jump at her. And she told me, Oh my God, it started yelling at me and it jumped at me. And I could almost, now I don't know if this is psychological, if this is real, but I almost felt like an energy coming towards us. And it shook us up. It shook all of us up. And we actually, they actually packed it up and left um, the castle after that because, you know, they weren't sure if it was safe anymore. We had to leave. And so I remember feeling kind of shaken up by that. And APR had, their Alameda Paranormal Researchers is APR for short. APR, they had actually asked me, you know, do you want to keep filming us? Do you want to join? And this was the point where I almost wanted to quit. 
What made you um, decide against quitting? I guess I just had such an interest. It was such an adventure. And I just kind of got over the initial fear of of what happened at Preston Castle. Every place is different for, for each one of us. But for me, the Great Star Theater is also one of the scariest places I've been to. And in fact, on season three, we have a sequel to um, the Great Star Theater episode where we talk about all the things that happened to us and other people up to a year after we filmed there, a year or more even. So that place is really scary because I actually had a lot of personal experiences. Um, I went there just to, to just to usher. I wasn't there to film anything paranormal. I was there one afternoon because my friend was in a musical in the show and I wanted to usher. I went downstairs to the basement level where the women's bathroom is. And while I was down there, I had all these mental impressions that there was a female spirit down in the bathroom with me. And I even had mental images that she was an Asian woman with a white dress, long hair. And there was this vanity mirror and a chair in the corner of the bathroom. And I felt strangely drawn to that table and chair. And if I remember correctly, I sat down and just stared at myself at the mirror, which is not something I would usually do. But that was a feeling that I had that was something that she was doing. And so I snapped out of it and I go back upstairs and I talk to the bartender and I ask, hey, you know, do you guys have ghost stories here? But I did not tell her what I had felt down in the bathroom. And when I asked her, do you have any ghost stories in this theater? She said, oh, yeah, my friend yesterday, she came up from the women's bathroom and she told me there's a female ghost down there. So it gave me the chills because it matched with my impressions and actually after that when i went home i had more impressions coming into my head i don't even talk about this i don't think in detail in the video um because of you know time constraints but i went home and at home was when i got a bunch of more images in my head i saw that she had gone mad she had lost her mind i thought something horrible had happened to her my feeling was she had been violated um you know sexually many times and maybe driven to suicide. Um, maybe she was trafficked. I wasn't really sure, but that was the feeling I got. And so I set up an investigation there. Several people um, felt her too. June felt her. I didn't tell her what my impressions were because we, we want to make sure nobody's influenced before they go in. She felt a female spirits down in the bathroom. AP members, One member of APR saw saw also a female spirit in a white dress float by a doorway. Um, Cody on my team, he's the cameraman on my team. He saw her several times peeking up above the bathroom stall. I, I don't want to give all the details because you'll see them in season three of everything that happened after we filmed, but it was like a place that just kept haunting you months, a year or more after we filmed. Yeah, that sounds like a really intense experience. And thank you for sharing that. Um, is there anything else we can uh, expect from season three? So season three, um, we premiere with um, a really exciting episode at the Oddfellows, which is a secret society in San Francisco. And it's also tied in with a mystery of when construction workers found a coffin beneath a San Francisco home. And it opens up a chapter of San Francisco history that we and many people were not aware of. And um, we also 
have actually a special episode. I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, Grace, but Matthew Abaya from our team, he flew to the Philippines to do uh, to scout locations for a future film he's making, not not part of the Haunted Bay. And while he was there, he started filming about Filipino ghost stories and a haunted film institute in the Philippines. And um, we also have a sequel to the Grey Star Theater, as I mentioned before, a sequel to the Warfield Theater episode where the Alameda Paranormal Researchers got a crazy ghost photo. Um, and we interviewed June Ahern, the psychic, about her near-death experience and how she became a psychic after that. Um, we also interviewed Lloyd Auerbach, who was a famous parapsychologist who's been on Oprah Winfrey show, Larry King Live, and a lot of famous shows on TV. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of exciting episodes coming up on season three. Yeah, that all sounds really, really interesting. Um, is there any advice that you'd give to somebody who wants to get into this genre of documentary making um, surrounding like ghosts and like paranormal activity? Um, yeah, first, um, find a team that you're comfortable working with. That's really important. Find paranormal investigators if you want to film them. So we, we are not ourselves paranormal investigators. We film paranormal investigators. Make sure you find a team that you're comfortable filming. Um, I'm very happy that I met APR because they're very professional, um, very level-headed, and very good to work with. Also, if you want to film psychic mediums, find one that you trust. I had a personal experience with June Ahern, the psychic medium, which is why I invited her to the show. So June Ahern and I had a very special story before I even ever started filming The Haunted Bay. And what happened was my mom passed away unexpectedly, and I was really, really in shock and grieving. And one of my friends told me that her aunt was June Ahern, and she said, maybe you want to talk to my aunt. She's a psychic medium. So I called and left her a message. Now, before I continue with the story, I have to give a background. So after my mom died, I totally stopped dancing, which is something I usually love to do. I stopped dancing because I thought, you know, I'm grieving and it's disrespectful to dance after she died. Two, I was imagining to myself that if I ever have a daughter, that I wished it would be my mother born back to me. Um, And three, one day I was hanging out with a friend of mine from school and she said, she said, I see your mother around you. And I asked her, well, what is she doing? And she said, she has her hands around your neck. And I was like, why does she have her hands around my neck? And my friend said, I don't know, maybe she wants to take you with her. And so I didn't believe that at all, because I don't think my mom would ever hurt me. So I kind of dismissed it and thought she was just making things up. And also the fourth story is, um, my mom died early in the morning. And the evening of her death, I was home lying in bed crying. And at one point, I remember putting my hand out and just imagining my mom holding my hand to comfort myself. I didn't actually feel anything, but I was just doing that to comfort myself. So these are the things that happened before I ever talked to June and I never told anybody. Okay, fast forward. I leave a message for June, the psychic, and she calls me back. She doesn't know me. And she's like, yeah, how can I help you? And I said, well, I want to talk to my mom. She died a few months ago. And she said, well, I don't really do that. 
She said, I might make have seances once in a while, but I usually just give you general advice. And then suddenly she's like, oh my God, oh my God, your mother is coming through really, really strongly. And I ask her, what is she saying? And take note that this is, you know, I'm not even paying her at this point. I haven't made an appointment. I'm just talking to her on the phone. And I ask her, what is she saying? And June says, your mom says, put back, put on your dancing shoes. She said, why did you stop dancing? You have to go back dancing. And then June said, and your mom says, if you ever have a daughter, it'll be her coming back to you. And then she said, your mom has her hands around your neck and your shoulders. And I asked why. And she said, because she said it's cold and you're not wearing a scarf and she doesn't want you to get sick. So this convinced me that she's the real thing. And I made an appointment and I went to see her. And during our reading, she actually said at one point she got really emotional. I could even see her eyes water up. And she said, your mom said, when you lay down in bed at night, put your hand out like you did before and she'll hold your hand again. So that was just absolutely shocking because I did not tell anybody about that. That was a, a personal moment for me. Yeah, thank you so, so much for sharing. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, yeah, once again, Ying, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And to our listeners, definitely check out The Haunted Bay's third season on Amazon Prime or AsianAmericanMovies.com if you want to watch something spooky this Halloween. Witching Tree by Mike Schneeberg. Many Sonoma County locals are already aware of the Witching Tree, a decrepit old tree that can be found at the very edge of Eastridge Trail. It stands bent and twisted in the center of a fairy ring consisting of newborn redwoods, and when gazed upon from a certain angle, resembles an old woman hunched over a walking stick with a hooded cloak draped over her head nothing but a dark hole for a face. There are plenty of existing rumors about this tree. Tall tales, rather. One claims that it is the spirit of a native woman who was cast out of her home. I've heard another story wherein a female hiker got lost in the woods one night and vanished without a trace. But in the morning, there stood a tree no one had ever seen before. I'm not writing to dispute any of those stories or call them foolish by any means. Rather, to share my grandfather's encounter with the tree and relay what's been told to me about the witching tree and the disappearance of Timmy Weinbacher.
During the 1930s, my grandfather, then a young man by the name of Rick, worked as a park ranger. The job was pretty slow and uneventful for the most part, and that's just the way that Rick liked it. He would often have friends stop over, and they'd sit together in the ranger hut, listening to the radio. Every now and again, one of them would bring a couple of beers they snuck from their father's fridge, and they'd sip on them inside a hollowed-out redwood. It was one of these days when Rick met Timmy Weinbacher. It was dusk. Rick and his friend Max were heading back to the park entrance to close up, both a little wobbly from the provisions they had just enjoyed. The air was cold, and the shadows were long. The redwood tree trunks had become bled of color, now a dark amber between beams of setting sunlight. They were almost at the entrance when they noticed one of the long shadows swaying, and when they looked up, they saw a silhouette of a boy. You there, park's closed, shouted Rick. The boy didn't move. His eyes were fixated on the tree before him. He continued looking up at its twisted trunk and jagged branches, perplexed, his face tight and wincing, as though he was gazing upon a wounded animal. This wounded animal, of course, was what's known today as the witching tree. Rick walked closer and spoke up again. This time, the boy was shaken from his trance. He stared at them blankly, as though he'd just risen from a deep nap. Hey, I know you, Max said. As it turned out, the boy was named Timmy, and he was just a grade younger than Rick and Max at the same school. Timmy was a shy kid, but my grandfather has always appreciated the company of those who can sit comfortably in silence, and it wasn't long before he and Timmy became friends. They spent much of that summer together. It became common practice for Timmy to stop by while Rick was on a shift. They'd sit together and listen to talk radio, go down to the creek and skip stones, or walk one of the woods' many trails, talking about girls or movies or sometimes simply nothing at all. And every time they passed the witching tree, Timmy would grow silent, do his best not to look, and pick up his pace. Rick would notice, but paid no mind. The funny thing about it was Timmy never seemed nervous out of fright by the tree. If anything, Rick got the impression he was bashful, as if passing a crush in the school hallway. As the summer drew to a close and fall approached, Timmy stopped by less and less. Rick didn't think anything of it. He would still spot Timmy around town and they wave at one another. But each time he saw Timmy, he could have sworn he looked a little more frail and withered. One evening, Rick was inside the ranger hut, sipping on a beer with his friend Max. Max could always be counted on for bringing beer. By this point, it had been several weeks without Rick seeing Timmy. Maybe he's found a girl, joked Max. They laughed. They were pretty sure Timmy had never talked to a girl outside of his mother and his sister. Rick looked at the clock, swinging the rest of his beer, and stood up. It was time to close up. He turned to shut the window blinds when something stopped him dead in his tracks. Cold chill ran down his spine. Standing at the end of the road was the silhouette of a decrepit figure, twisted and hunched over. Slowly, 
as though wading through quicksand. It shuffled across the gravel. Grab the flashlight, said Rick. Max obeyed, and they went out into the woods. You there. Park's closed. The figure did not stop. They picked up their pace, but the figure did too. Rick was getting agitated. Something didn't feel right. He checked his belt to make sure the knife was latched to it. It was. With a swift inhale, he gathered his courage and began to trot after the figure. Stop! He yelled. The figure kept trudging away. Rick was running now, and gaining quickly on the figure. Through the dimly lit woods, he could start to make out its form. It was scrawny, stick-like. A twisted corpse with clothes draped over it. With one hand on his knife, he reached out with the other and clutched its bony shoulder. The figure whipped around. Standing before Rick, eyes as wide as two moons and pale face with skin taut against the skull, was Timmy Weinbacher. Timmy, Rick exhaled. Jesus, man, you scared the daylights out of me. Timmy apologized. He looked around nervously and followed Rick back to the ranger hut. He was so frail now. Rick thought one breeze would topple the poor kid over. There, wrapped in one of the park's standard-issue fleece blankets like a sickly child huddled by the light of the lantern, Timmy told Rick and Max of his recent whereabouts and why they hadn't been seeing him lately. He explained how, for the past few weeks, every night at dusk, he would feel compelled to enter the woods. At first, he thought it was the desire to spend time with Rick, but even in doing so, the ache did not subside. Soon, the urge beckoned him deeper into the woods. It was a yearning that aided him. He described it like an invisible hand that would wrap around his heart, pulling him into the forest until it finally released. And every time it did, he would find himself looking up at the witching tree. He continued, explaining that the tree would fill him with bright light and set his soul on divine fire. Sometimes he would stare into the tree and have visions so profound they would move him to tears. I've never felt this way about anyone, about anything, said Timmy, still staring into the lantern. Is it even possible to be in love with a tree? Rick and Max looked at one another, pushing back their smirks. Let's get you home, bud, said Rick. Rick had hardly slept that night. Every time he found himself beginning to drift off, he would be awakened by the thought of Timmy's eyes when he whipped him around, two glowing orbs protruding from his skull, burning with terror and desperation. When morning finally came, Rick was exhausted. He slumped downstairs and plopped down at the breakfast table. You look awful, his mother said. I barely slept. Were you out with Timmy by chance? His mother called me worried. Apparently he wasn't in his bed this morning. Rick froze in his chair. He and Max had returned Timmy home last night. But Rick knew there was only one place he would have left again to go. 
He explained to his mom what Timmy had told them, about his obsession with the woods, about the deep desire to enter them every night. She called Timmy's parents, and together they gathered a search party to look for him in the woods. For weeks they scoured the woods, searched every creek, every trail, and every hollowed tree, but they never found Timmy. My grandfather never told anyone what Timmy had said about the tree, though, about the visions it gave him, nor about his deep enamorment with it. No one would believe him, anyway. But he swears that every time he visits the tree, it looks more alive and more vibrant and more youthful than it did before the day that Timmy went missing. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veronin, with recording and engineering help from SF Weekly staff writer Grace Lee. Liam Hofer read The Witching Tree by Mike Schneeberg. Our theme music and sound design was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Follow us on SoundCloud and check us out on our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week.